The following is an exclusive presentation of Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation. Welcome to the Pirate Radio Podcast, featuring special guests discussing a wide range of topics and personal stories. The Pirate Radio Podcast is presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Nothing tastes quite like it. Visit WhiteClaw.com today. White Claw Hard Seltzer, proudly distributed by Coastal Beverage. Please drink responsibly. Now live from the Pirate Radio Studio, here's Shirley Rhodes. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pirate Radio Podcast featuring Carlester Crumpler Sr., The Pirate Radio Podcast is brought to you by White Claw Hard Seltzer. On today's podcast, The Voice, Jeff Charles, will have a one-on-one to talk about Crump Sr.'s football playing days. So sit back and relax. Today's Pirate Radio Podcast, presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer, starts right now. Thank you, Shirley. Today, a visit with a football legend and Hall of Famer, Carlester Crumpler. Crump, a Wilson native, played for the Pirates from 1971 to 73. In three years, he rushed for 2,889 yards during the 1972 season. He set records for carries with 340 with 17 rushing touchdowns. He holds the career record with 37 rushing touchdowns and the career record of 90.3 yards rushing per game in 32 games. But there's so much more to the man than just football and today we'll learn a lot more from a gentleman considered to be one of the all-time great pirates he's in the ecu hall of fame and in the north carolina sports hall of fame crump welcome we appreciate your time how you doing voice i'm I'm doing well it's good to talk to you i I certainly miss uh being with you on those those weekly football weekends uh but when i got off it certainly gave me a chance to spend some time with the uh second set of crumps that i have so (laughs) it's been been a blast everything is going well great well it has been uh, quite some time since we worked together on the network time flies but we spent 18 great years together we're going to talk about that a little bit later on uh, in the visit but crump i wanted to go back and uh, start from the very beginning uh, growing up in the 50s and the 60s in wilson in the south during that era uh, as an african-american uh, what, what was life like in the south and around here in eastern north carolina when you were growing up well, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a tough time, but you know, I, I don't think that I experienced too uh, much adversity in the process. You know, I wish I'd have had more family or community support in the process uh, because you know there were some decisions that I made early on, uh, right after the uh, Civil Rights Act was was passed, and then there was an opportunity to integrate the. Wilson County school system and in doing so uh, that's where everything really took off you know I didn't have a father in the home never knew who my father was I finally learned a name but not even did not have the opportunity to <clears throat> even see a, a picture or or, or or know anything truly honestly uh, about him so you know at some point you know that got to be a little frustrating because I did want to know my roots so to speak but uh, there just wasn't enough information there to uh, uh, to get anything and, and possibly there is but I haven't quite uh, hit on the correct combination yet but you know I you know the this lack of support at home I, I say that from the standpoint of one not having a father and two my mother moving off to New York in a uh, a very early stage, and she was probably about 23. Uh, I was about eight years old at the time, or something of that. I, I believe it was about about eight years old. 
so the guidance that uh, I got as a young man really came from the experience of being around other people. And uh, I think from the standpoint of being who I was and not being a rebellious kid or one that was prone to get into trouble, it helped me through the process of, of getting to where I am today. Crump, you were raised by your grandmother. You and I have talked about that off the air on a number of occasions. So she must have been a special lady and, and really took uh, took to the raising of you very seriously. Well, you know, she did the, the best she could under the circumstances. And, uh, you know, it was tough. You know, my grandmother, you know, I, I don't recall her really working. I don't know if she worked at some point. Uh, but, again, I was very young. But I, I remember the days when, honestly, she was – you know, she sold bootleg liquor as a living. And as a young kid, if she would leave the house and I don't know what age I was, then I would be the one pouring the liquor for her. <laughs> 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 that was coming to the house. So I remember those old, what we call these old rooster glasses or, or a little small shot, a little bit larger than a shot glass, I would say. And, you know, you pulled up to the breast of the rooster, uh, rooster that would be, you know, maybe a quarter, and you put it up around the head, and then that would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 cents or something of that nature. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had some varied experiences. <laughs> Fortunately, I never fell into the trap of being a, a smoker or a drinker myself. So, I mean, even though that influence was heavily around me with uh, individuals that would even be drunk in my house or on the porch or whatever the case may be, I never fell into that trap or that desire to, you know, partake of any of that stuff uh, to any level that it would affect me and, and, you know, who I would later become. So you started playing sports. Can you remember, Crump, uh, back your earliest recollection to picking up the football or picking up the basketball? I know you played basketball, too. And and when you started uh, a love of sports? Uh I think I've loved it all the time. Uh, there was nothing unusual about getting in the yard and playing basketball all day with an old raggedy, you know, real thin rim that, you know, the ball would hit at the rim would practically bend or, or break. Uh, you know, there, you, you would build, the, you would build the uh, get you a pole and build you a wooden backboard and all around the neighborhood you can just go around and play basketball literally all day long. Um, my first experience in getting in a an actual uniform was, you know, during those midget league days at the Reed Street Community Center, which was right around the corner from where I lived on Vance Street. Uh, literally, you could walk, you know, probably be less than a quarter of a mile if I walked in a straight line from my home over to the uh, schoolyard. Uh, so, at Reed uh, schoolyard or even Reed Street, because they were they were right back over there together side by side so the um at reed street there was a gentleman there who was the uh recreation director by the name of eugene cox and eugene was uh, as we called him gene was the most phenomenal athlete i believe i'd ever seen in my life he could swim you know he could dive he can you know he could do some of everything or just a remarkable gentleman in and statue and his personality and uh, I was became a part of the rec league uh, or football midget football team and um, I was a tall kid so I was always having a little trouble trying to stay the weight but I think the limit was somewhere around the neighborhood of 120 pounds and I, I think the helmets were made out of iron I mean 
<laughs> really. <laughs> it wasn't a great experience, but it was fun because you didn't know any better. And I remember playing at least a couple, two or three games. And, you know, I think I was playing a, a tight end position or something of that nature. And that's where it all really started at Reed Street prior to uh, moving on to uh, junior high school once I left elementary school. Yeah, we'll talk about Reed Street, Jim, a little bit later on in the visit. So, Crump, you're a young kid, and you're tall for your age, and then you probably get out there on the field or on the court, and you realize that physically you are gifted. You're you're bigger probably than most of the kids, maybe faster, more athletic. Can you remember a time when you said to yourself as a youngster growing up that maybe I have some special gifts here? I never did. (laughs) I never never once did. I I enjoyed it, but I don't know if I had a tremendous passion, I would say, uh, because I, I really didn't experience truly what it was like or what it would be anywhere remotely, uh, what it would be like or how tough it would be until I actually hit junior high school and then i had to make some hard decisions as to whether or not i would continue or not but uh never had the thought that i was special at any point in time or thought that i was better than the next athlete you know i always try to compete but uh that's something that's really honestly carried with me throughout life you know i did what i did and you know if i was better i was better but you wouldn't hear me saying i was better we're visiting with Carlester Crumpler Sr., going back over his life, one of the all-time great Pirates, of course. Things changed then, Crump. You mentioned uh, an opportunity then to go to uh, Wilson Fike High School. Tell us a little bit about that. That's that's a story in its own right, how that journey all started and, and you end, uh, uh, ended up at Wilson Fike. Uh, well, uh, the uh, Civil Rights Act was passed, I believe, in the 19th. 64 or something of that nature, yes. and, and then I had the opportunity to, in 65, to make a decision. Uh, the school would, would be integrated, and uh, I had to make a decision as to whether or not I was going to leave uh, uh, Sam Vic Elementary and go to Darden High School, or whether or not, uh, uh, which was, you know, the combination of middle school, high school together, which was the... Uh, predominantly black school at the time, or go to uh, Charles L. Coon Junior High, which was probably a couple of miles or more away um, uh, at that particular time. But I uh, tried to convince uh, two of my better friends in uh, elementary school. One was Samuel Latham, the other was Brooksy Jenkins, and Samuel is, is now deceased. Brooksy, I have not seen since our high school days, and uh, when we graduated from like in uh, 1970. So uh, they agreed to come with me, um, and uh, we all went to uh, Charles L. Coon together, and that's where where it all, all began from that point. And uh, honestly, after a couple of weeks, uh, I was in an environment which, you know, everyone was white. Uh, I was the only black kid in, in my classroom for the majority of the of the time, and that that was not what got to me. What really got to me was the fact that uh, when I started competing athletically, it was so tough. Uh, I didn't think I could handle it. Uh, and after two weeks, I actually forged my grandmother's name to a form to submit to the principal, uh, saying that you know it, it was. I, I needed to transfer to Darden High School. I no longer wanted to be at Charles Elkin Junior High School. 
Well, I formulated that letter uh, with the intent of giving it to the principal. His name was Roscoe Eller uh, at the time, and I never gave it to him. Uh, and it was it was probably the 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 second greatest turning point. One, the first turning point was making the decision, and the second one was not given that principle of that letter. Otherwise, you would not be talking to me today. That's incredible. That is really an incredible story. So you, you go on to, to high school, and Coach Henry Trevathan enters your life. Tell us about your relationship with Coach, and I know it still goes on uh, to this day. Yeah, Coach Trevathan uh, would always, uh, as the high school coach, would come over and speak to the ninth graders that would be uh, – transitioning over to Fike High School at the time. It was 10th, 11th, and uh, 12th grade. Uh, I didn't know him personally. I just knew him, you know, as name, and he was the head football coach. Uh, so we were in the auditorium, and he would, uh, he would give us a speech, and he uh, would all of us being there that were athletes uh, or intending to play football, he would go on to say that, you know, not all of you will make it, and most of you will be – uh, no longer with the team once you uh, get to high school, uh, which was true because by the time I was a senior, there was only 10 of us that remained. The, the 10 from that entire class on up through the uh, graduating. Uh, Costa Vathan ended up giving the 10 of us a sterling silver keychain with a tag on it saying 1970 for being a sticker. Uh, I've, the tag is gone, but I still have that keychain today. Uh, so the experience of uh, going over, so transitioning over to Fike, uh, I and um, Dan Killebrew were the only two sophomores that would be designated to play on the varsity. And then that's where it all began. Coach Devathan, and then I, obviously from that point on, through high school became uh, extremely close, uh, even to the point that once uh, my first son was born, Carlos Jr., I gave him Coach DeVathan's middle name. And as you know, Coach DeVathan is like 96 years old today, 95 or 96, and he is as spry as uh, most of us, much, much, much younger. <laughs> You're right about that. I run into a coach around Farmville, and he still looks great. And as you know, Crump, uh, it's tough to get a hold of him because he's usually out on his tractor farming around fountains. So he's still very, very active, isn't he? Yeah, he stays active. Uh, I get to see. I call it from time to time just to check on him, uh, but uh, I get to see him. Uh, of course, COVID has has inter- intervened, but. I would usually get to see him about every month and a half or so when we would convene for the, uh, as a, as a, as board members of the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame board. So that was the one I get to see him most. Every now and then when Benito is in, in, is out and about sometimes and he's over in the Greenville area, he may, I mean, she may run into him. Uh, but I don't get the opportunity to see him as much as I'd like to uh, these days, but certainly he's just a phone call away. Let's talk about those high school days, Crump, because the late, great Woody Durham, 40 years as the voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels, 
told me one time Carlester Crumpler was the greatest high school football player I've ever seen in the state of North Carolina. And then the book was written, Cyclone Country by Lennox Rawlings, which is an incredible book about high school football in, in Wilson during those days. Uh, paint the picture, if you will, for us, Crump, on Friday Night Lights back then when you were playing and, and what it was like and the incredible fan interest there was. Well, you can go to any game on any top team in eastern North Carolina this very day and not experience what was experienced through 67, 68, and 69 when I played at Wilson Flight. We were the smallest high school in the state to, to win a state championship in 1967. Uh, 27 players on the team. The picture's up uh, in the... Um, uh, just outside the gymnasium over at Fike High School. And there are about 27, 28 players there uh, that competed. And in, in those days, of course, boys, and, and probably they too, maybe not as much, is you play both ways. Uh, so if you were like me and you ran the ball a lot, <laughs> you'll play defense, you had to be in, in pretty good shape. But uh, you can look at if you ever have an opportunity, and, and I've got some old, I mean, I've got an old highlight, uh, I'll say a videotape that I've got to get my hands on for the kids to take a look at. But you can, uh, the excitement had was so high uh, because uh, after our first season, or even during our first season, that the city of Wilson built a stadium for us very, very quickly. I mean, very quickly. And that's they, that stadium still stands uh, today, but there was um, you can you can fill the stands on the visitor side as well as the main uh, structure, but yet all around the field there would be people six eight deep, literally fans standing completely around the football field to watch a game. You won't see that today. I mean, first of all, they're not going to have you standing around the field for the most part. And if you did, it wouldn't be many. Uh, but that was the kind of atmosphere that we had week after week after week. And if we traveled, we traveled big. And at our home games, you had to shut down everything early if you were going to get to the game or you're going to be standing around the field if you were able to get in. <laughs> yeah. It is some incredible stories uh, regarding that time, Crump. And that's yeah. where the legend of Carlester Crumpler really started. Everybody found out about you and the great games that you were having at, at Wilson Fike. And then, of course, uh, you start to be recruited. Uh, I, I dug this up, Crump, uh, that you actually got a letter, I guess, from the great Gale Sayers about coming to Kansas to play football. Is that true? I have one from Gale Sayers as, as well as a one from Roman Gabriel. They are sitting uh, in the curio laminated at this very moment as we speak. Two of the... M probably most significant uh, letters that I've ever gotten from a recruiting standpoint where, you know, uh, both were, of course, International Football League at the time. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams board was Roman Gabriel and uh, Gail Sayers uh, with the Chicago Bears. And 
my uh, adopted guardian, uh, Al Wheeler, actually had those two. I think he had them laminated for me. And of all the mail that I received uh, during that period of time of recruiting, uh, there may be some somewhere, but those are the two significant pieces that were actually laminated and sits in a curio today at my, at my home. So, uh, and, you know, they got the dates uh, in 1969, I believe it was. Uh, one may have 68, one may have 69, uh, uh, when they were encouraging me to consider uh, Kansas. And, of course, Roman Gabriel was advocating for NC State. Uh so that was uh, so. Yes, I do have that uh, memorabilia, so to speak. But you picked the Pirates, Crump. As you look back on that decision, uh, what what are your thoughts uh, coming to East Carolina? Basically, staying at home. And I know Mike McGee was uh, was very aggressive in recruiting you, and and Coach Trevathan came along with Coach McGee as kind of a kind of a package deal, right? Well, I don't know all the story of Coach DeVathan, so I don't, uh, you know, uh, how he got there. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there was probably some agreement somewhere, uh, allegedly. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the point, but the point is, uh, you know, my my objective was, hey, I'm, I'm going off to school, and you know, when you grew up in a home where no one talked about college or even. Uh, honestly, didn't hear much about graduating from high school. Um, because I'm the only one from my family that, that even graduated from high school or college. So um, that decision was a, a very big decision for me. And, uh, you know, of course, I'm, uh, there was some urging on behalf of, you know, of people of other universities, uh, Buddy Bedgood and Wilson was a big Carolina fan, and he would show up at my doorsteps and say, hey, Crump, you ready to go? And I'd go, like, where? He said, we're going to be a blue-white game in Chapel Hill. And I'm going, like, what's that? You know, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Uh, but that kind of uh, influence. But the, the thing is, you know, I live with my grandmother only. You know, I didn't know anything outside of, of Wilson and my grandmother because she was my, basically my sole support. Now, there were individuals in high school that, that helped me along with meals and clothing and, and that kind of stuff as I be, as I progressed through uh, those stages. But yes, I recruited uh, very heavily and, and Mike McGee was literally at my doorstep seemingly every single day. <laughs> and my grandmother didn't know any better and I didn't know any better. Uh, one remembrance that I that I had that I wasn't I mean that I can't forget although I probably w- would would have rather was uh, one of the coaches from Clemson University. Uh, there's a couple one one story is really kind of crazy. One of them, Michigan State uh, was being recruited and, and have this uh, African American coach <laughs> comes down. You know I didn't know anything about the recruiting all the money. Money he asked me where I want to go and I go like you know I couldn't think you know I've been where I go well, let's go to. Uh, uh, Wheeler's uh, uh, Grill or whatever. It was a little, little uh, uh, Amico station on 301 and 264 uh, was a gas station, which was my adopted guard, Al, Al Wheeler. And he also had this little, uh, I'll just call it a hot dog stand, but they sold hamburgs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I tell the recruiter, I said, well, I want to go to Wheeler's Grill. And he says, what do you want? I want six hot dogs. 
This coach kept four or six hot dogs. Oh, well, six hot dogs. <laughs> so that's what I get. But uh, but then I, I, I remember the occasion I, I would go home and the, one of the Clemson coaches was there, and he was already set up in what was the living room of our home with a projector to show me this highlight reel of Clemson football. Well, I, I'm, I'm watching it. You know, Clemson runs out on the field, and as you know, during those days, they, you know, rather than just running down this hill, there was this big Confederate flag, almost as big as the field, with them running onto the field, not the play, but running on the field with that flag. Mm-hmm. That sticks out in my, in my head this very day, and I'm going like, I didn't know a whole lot of that point. I'm going like, no, I don't think I want to go there. Yeah. And so uh, I made the decision to, I remember making the decision in the hallway, I don't know if it was the end of a basketball game or what, in the hallway of our athletic area at Fike, breaking down in Tearson, that I would attend East Carolina University. And I literally cried like a baby, not being disappointed, but just like the relief of the pressure Mm-hmm. Of having made a decision, and I never looked back from that point on. So you get to the Pirates. Carl Summerell is the quarterback, and the team was not winning a whole lot when you guys got there, Crump. But then Summerell uh, became the quarterback. You became the running back. Uh, you played with some great guys on defense, and the Pirate fortunes really changed and turned around. And you guys became the dominant program uh, in the Southern Conference. So let's go back and talk about those days. Uh, how exciting was it to kind of be in on the ground floor with the program uh, turning around so much? Well, that was a selling point. You know, Clarence Stasovich was going out as the um, as the head football coach. You know, he ran the old single wing. I probably would have enjoyed running in that in that office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brand old single wing, uh, but I was being recruited, of course. You know, the chancellor of the university was at my signing, as well as tr- board of trustees members, all the coaches. and uh, So it was a big deal uh, when all that took place. But so we were on the ground floor with Mike McGee uh, in this transition of, of moving into basically the modern era of uh, football, moving from a single wing to uh, pro-type formation, and I, I was not eligible. It was, it was freshman could not play on the var, uh, on the varsity anyway. But after one year, Mike McGee left to go to his alma mater, Duke, and then Sonny Randall took over. And uh, if you know anything about Sonny, Sonny was, you know, he was a, a madman. Yep. He vowed that we would win. Uh, and and we did. I mean, uh, I don't think really won maybe four or five games my sophomore year, but then we went nine and two back to back, only losing to Carolina and NC State. And we should have beaten each one of them at least once. We did beat State once, had opportunity to beat Carolina once, and uh, to this very day, I, I say it was taken away from us. And whenever I see Charles Waddell, who was the tight end for Carolina at the time. You know, I, I let him know every time that they stole the game. So we, should have, so we should have been at least 10-1 both years, but we only went 9-2. and two. Uh, But we were on the ground floor and, uh, and, and running, and as Sonny vowed, we would be the best-conditioned team, and we would be excitable uh, uh, enough or excited enough that – you know, you become the want to see us play. Well, Dowdy Ficklin or Ficklin at the time was only 
20,000 strong, so we would fill it with 20,000. You know, the clock was not a digital clock. It was one of those uh, analog hand-running Yeah. So you didn't really know what the time was or, or seconds was. It just ticked around. Yep, I remember those. Uh, so, so those, uh, I mean, those. So it was, uh, it was an exciting time, uh, and we had a chancellor that backed the program because he had other things on his agenda, and the football program or athletic program in general would be a platform for him to uh, step off of. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that that was that was it, but it was a it was a it was a focal point to put some recognition in Eastern North Carolina uh, for him to do some of the other things that he went on to do that we see the result of uh, of today of Dr. Leo Jenkins and his efforts. So uh, football was very exciting around that time. And of course, when Sonny Randall left to go to Virginia, uh, then Pat Dye comes in and he continues, you know, for his four or five years here, I think he had a winning season every single year. Uh, so things went on for quite a while, which was very good for Eastern North Carolina. Crump, go back to those days, if you will. Uh, pick out a game or two that stands out in your mind, uh, both for the Pirates and then individually. Uh, you had so many great games, but was there one or, or two that stands out in your mind during that era? Well, championship game against Richmond, uh, I can't remember that was 72 or 73. Uh, and then there was a, a game against uh, Lou Holtz and William & Mary, in Virginia, where in order for us to seal the, because we won big the, I think the Southern Conference title against Richmond, I I, I may not be 100% correct on that, but uh, that was a big game. But then the next, uh, one of the two was we had to put away William Mary, who was coached by uh, Lou Holtz, uh, senior at the time. And we were driving with an opportunity to put the game away. And uh, one of my guards or tackles, uh, uh, Fred Horace, who is now deceased, uh, you know, it was one of those situations where, you know, you got four minutes left and, or, and you need to get a couple of first downs, you know, to try to put the game away. And it's just like it was yesterday. Uh, and one of those memorable moments and I even hear people that were at the game talk about it as well, that Fred looks at me and he says, okay, Crump, I got so-and-so and so, let's go. And I get the ball and I run off tackle or somewhere in that neighborhood and I start stepping and boom, we put the game away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that may be the, be the most vivid moment that I ever had in college football. I mean, there's some, a lot of, you know, great games, but that was the one that stands out to me. And what's really ironic about it is the last championship game we won at Wilson Pike, I had the same experience where the quarterback, George Wilkerson, goes, I mean, we're the game is tied 10-10, and George Wilkerson, I don't know, I don't know, we're 60, 70 yards away, and George Wilkerson goes, okay, Crump, let's go. He hands the ball to me six straight times we get down to the one yard line and of course everybody thinks I'm going to get it that next time 
and I just run off to the right. The whole team does, and George just walks right into the end <laughs> So those two moments stick out more than any. I mean, I, there's been a lot of great games, but, of course, my memory has faded on a lot of them, but those two in the individual uh, performances stand out completely. You had the great career at ECU. In the back of your mind, Crump, uh, did you really want to play pro football? Or tell us about that experience. I believe you had, had an injury before you got to camp. And tell us a little bit about that. Well, I had shoulder injuries. Um, I had surgery my junior year at ECU and my uh, senior year. And it was so one shoulder was done one year, one was done my senior year. And that was a year I was going to be drafted in, into the National Football League. Uh, so I ended up going, I think Gil Brandt, who was probably one of the best known uh, evaluators in the uh, National Football League at the time, had me projected as going as a first or second round pick uh, in the draft. And uh, I ended up going in the fourth round. Now, the thing I try to get individuals to remember is this was not a seven round draft. This was a 26-round draft because there were 26 teams at the time. So I ended up being a fourth-round pick, being pick number 99. Um, so when you think about it, uh, that was still exceptionally high for the day. Sure. Uh, not much money, uh, it, it, whether it was round one or round 26. <laughs> yeah. By today's standard, uh, but it was, it was high. And at the time, it was the highest draft pick in the history of East Carolina. Uh, at the time, until Zach Valentine came around and was drafted in the second round, or and I think uh, I think then Tony Collins was drafted in the second round, and then we didn't have a first round pick. I think until Robert Jones yes uh, came along, and then after him, the next first round pick would have would have been uh, who's that running back that was Chris Johnson. Chris Johnson, yeah, yeah that guy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, but my obviously my professional experience didn't didn't pan out. Um, so you know, life had to go on. You know, and I, I, I dabbled in the uh, Canadian Football League for a minute with the Montreal Alouettes, and uh, by that time, really, uh, my passion had really gone for the game at that time, and I. I, I, I rationalize it today is you know maybe it just wasn't meant to be, uh, and uh, you know rather than dwell on it, hey, it just wasn't meant to be. You know God had a better plans for me. Uh, that's the way it is, and you know I'm moving on. So who was the guy in Buffalo when you got to tryout camp that was running back there? Oh, that OJ Simpson guy. <laughs> uh, uh, OJ didn't have the reputation now uh, uh, then as he has now and actually he was pretty uh, he was a pretty cool guy to be around of course he was you know he was the he was the icon of the National Football League I mean he was the guy and you could go you go to an airport and get off that plane and there would be fans or female fans that were there to greet OJ uh and you know to get his attention or whatever but oj gave me the greatest he gave me the greatest coaching point of anyone i've ever been around and it was so simple that today when i think about it i am so frustrated i don't know what to do <laughs> because during a practice 
OJ, but he says, Crumper, he says, when you go in the hole, keep your head up. He says, because if you don't keep your head up, once you start to fall, you're going to go right down to the ground. I remember it so many times that in that three yards, four yards in a cloud of dust offense that I ran into at ECU, where it was just bang, 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 where I was a step away from taking it two or three times a game or more to the house. Mm -hmm. And I get tripped up and I fall right to the ground. Boys, it's uncanny how frustrated that I can get to this very day (laughs) when I think about all that I could have accomplished just by having my head up. He gave me that tip. The next play, I go through the hole, I get hit, and sure enough, I'm staying on my feet. You know, it's amazing, Crump, that all all the coaches you had, you know, wouldn't have pointed that out to you at some point. That's the frustrating part. Yeah. No one ever, no one ever, including Lou Saban, coached that point. Wow. That's pretty amazing. That's, you know, so that's where I remember most. And, and I do have a, or Carlos Jr. has a piece of memorabilia because he was just, I don't know, three years old, maybe at the time that two or three by the time I got to Buffalo and there was, had a little Snoopy dog, a little, little Snoopy, uh, plush dog, dog. And, uh, there was OJ had signed it. And then there was, you remember, remember the group, uh, uh, Tony Orlando and Don. Oh, sure. Saw him in person. Well, Don, Signed. She was in the airport. I think Tony was in the airport, and I know that Don signed it. I don't know whether we got Tony, but I actually on my phone because Carlos and I were talking about something. On my phone is a picture of that dog, and you can faintly see OJ's uh, autograph on it. Wow! So he still has that uh, has that today. Uh, but you know, my next uh, my professional career did not pan out as anyone had hoped or even I had hoped uh, but then it got to a point where I was just like flustered frustrated just like you know forget it I mean my passion was gone and you know that can happen unfortunately and it did for me uh, I don't look back on it as regrets but uh, at least my sons my two older sons were able to pick it up and and and, and play in the league Uh, So there was something accomplished out of it. So the realization hits Crump that your football days are over. So what's your mindset then as a still very young man as to what you're going to do with the rest of your life? That is a good point. What was I going to do (laughs) with my life? Because as many young men even today think that, hey, that's their dream. And that's what they're going to do. And when it falls through, what's going to happen? Yep. When I left East Carolina, I had uh, nine hours remaining to complete my uh, college degree. Uh, it was nine or nine or twelve hours. I, it was like three levels of Spanish and a course for my minor, which was uh, sociology, and my major was anthropology. And I had not completed those courses yet. Uh, and it got to a point where one, I you know, I couldn't afford it. I'm trying to like now raise a family, uh, and and trying to do whatever I got to do from that point on to survive. And so, you know, I just take little jobs here and there and it really didn't matter 
uh, from a pride standpoint, it didn't matter to me what that job was. It was just get a job, try to earn enough money to take care of my family, and that was it. And it was not until I got to uh, uh, this place used to be TRW in um, in Greenville that things really took off because I remember those days of you know, making 150, well, about $8,000 a year mm-hmm. at the time. And I had the opportunity to go to TRW and that was going to jump to like about thirteen or $14,000 a year. So I was very excited about that. Uh, and then it progressed from there. And I worked there about, I don't know, maybe about seven years. Uh, and I can't remember all the, the jobs in between, but about seven years before East Carolina came calling in 1988, uh, and that's where I've been ever since. 1988, you get the call from Dave Hart Jr. He's the athletics director at ECU. And Crump, tell us about that phone call. Did it kind of come out of left field, or what did Dave have to say, or what was his offer like? Well, what was going on was that there were recruiting weekends, football recruiting weekends, and Henry Van Sant would actually be the person that would be the uh, – front guy who would say, hey, Carl Esther, so-and-so, we've got recruits coming over this weekend, uh, 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 you know, that'll be here this weekend. Why don't you come over and talk to them? So I did that maybe two or three times. And then that is after those, you know, off-the-cup presentations, that is when Dave Hart calls and says, hey, Carl Esther, we'd like to offer you an opportunity to come to ECU and, you know, working football, blah, 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 and I'm going like, okay, yeah. sounded pretty good to me because, you know, I worked in industry, which which was really good for me because I'm a very analytical person when it comes to mechanical things and how things, you know, work in that environment and was, was great with my hands and, and making adjustments and how to do stuff and whatever because when I went there, I was actually running a... Uh, one of the three level of machines that we had, and once your skill level builds, then you they see what's going on. You move up to they have what we call an A, B, and C level. I started C level, and then you work your way up to a B level, and then an A level. And each each level you got to, you work higher because the, the what you were working with would, would become quite more complicated. Uh, but rather than I got to the B level very quickly, and then they decided. Uh, to put me in quality control, and I worked in quality control for about a year, and then I went into supervision. Well, I was in supervision for about two or three years prior to ECU calling, and so when I left there, uh, then I went over to ECU to to work in the football office. And you're right, Crump. That was 1988. I remember it well because I came to ECU in 1988, the same year in April. I think you came a couple of months later, and July. Yep, you came in July, like two or three months later, and I remember my conversations with Dave Hart early on. He says, I'm going to hire this guy, uh, Carl Esther Crumpler. He's a legendary football figure here. Of course, I knew the name. He says, I think you guys would be a good team and would pair up well and do our football broadcast together. And lo and behold, that's what happened in the fall of 1988. And we worked 18 years together on the network and shared some wonderful moments. I wanted to ask you what it was like, though, when Carl Esther Jr. played and you were broadcasting the games and Crump Jr. was playing for the Pirates and you were in the booth. 
those must be some special memories for you. Well, they are because it gave me an opportunity to see my, you know, firstborn play every single football game of his life, um, you know, at the college level. Because I wasn't able to even do that in high school because I was in TRW. Um, you know, I had when he had games, I was working the second shift. Mm-hmm. And the second shift went from like about three or four, to three o'clock, or three to eleven, or something like that. So if I was going to see his games, either I had to be off, or I would slip away during a, a period of time. And I think at a period of time he was doing it, I may have been in supervision. And it had to be because there would be no other way. If I was running a machine, there's no way I could do it. Sure. I either be in uh, supervision, and I would go over and maybe watch a quarter or half but he would not even know I was there mm-hmm. as a matter of fact there was a confrontation confrontation he and I had at one point where he doted out you know he you know he's playing high school football and I never got to see his games or whatever and I said son do you realize that I was at every, nearly every game that you played that was a home game and that there was an op- that, that there was a chance that I would be fired because I just left the facility to go see you play, and at some point I felt like when it was time to go back, I would go back. I said, "Do you realize what I put on the line for you?" Because he didn't know I was there. Sure. And so that uh, that shocked him, and that ended that very quickly. Well, Crump Jr. had a fine career at ECU. As you mentioned, he went on to play in the NFL. And then your number two son, Algie Crumpler, had the great career at North Carolina, went on to have a terrific uh, all-pro-type career in the National Football League. And your son, Brian, an accomplished musician. So, Crump, uh, you must really feel blessed. I mean, these three guys have, have been big-time, big-time accomplishment type of people. I am. Uh, I don't know, <clears throat> you know, what I've really done to to deserve to have, uh, you know, the gene pool that I that I have. That you know, my sons have, have turned out as well as as they have. Uh, the two older, you know, are married, and you know, I have grandkids. Uh, Brian was never married, and probably never will be, and he's. Uh, doing his thing in, in New York, uh, and uh, but you know I've I've uh, I've truly I've been blessed beyond measure with the way these young men have turned out, and uh, which is good because I probably couldn't handle it otherwise. I would have done something really bad to them. If <laughs> 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 pretty decent. I, I'm a pretty nice guy, but pretty soon you you strike that chord that that makes the evil come out. I don't, I, don't, I don't want that to come out. So uh, I was very blessed. And, and having three sons uh, was a tremendous blessing. Uh, and now that I have a, a full son and a daughter, uh, if I'd have had daughters, I'd be nuts. <laughs> the one I've got, God bless her soul, she is one sweet young lady, but these girls are definitely different. <laughs> And, you know, a lot of people, of course, everybody knows about your son's crump, but a lot of people don't know about your brother, Skip Crumpler. And we've had Skip on our show on a number of occasions on From the Booth. And sometimes I will be talking to folks and they'll mention your name and we'll be talking about you. And I said, do you know who Skip's brother is? And they say, no. I said, well, he was a professional boxer. 
And uh, his career, also kind of like yours, ended prematurely because of an eye injury in the ring. But he's been involved in the fight game for years. He still trains kids. And we get back to Reed Street Gym again, where you grew up. And now Skip is there training these kids. He's been involved in the fight game. Uh, to this day, and I know he's a couple years younger than you, to this day he looks like he could get in the ring and fight. He's in tremendous physical condition. But your brother, Skip, he's had his own uh, he's had his own athletic career, hasn't he? Yeah, because Skip, uh, you know, cause Skip really didn't, I, I don't even know how much he even followed me even in high school, because he was on a different path than, and headed in a different direction than, <clears throat> obviously, than what I was headed. And, uh, to see how his life has turned around and how accomplished he is because, I mean, athletically, yes, I knew about him trying to be a, a boxer, but then when that didn't work out, you know, he got to the point now he started training where Skip used to didn't even work out either. You know, he didn't treat his body that well as a, as a young man, uh, even as a teenager. Uh, but now it's, it's taken a, a, a total reverse where he is a fanatic about working out. And, yes, he's about a year and a half younger than me. And, of course, he didn't have these collision uh, experiences that I had. Obviously, you would have it if you would last it as a boxer, but his career wasn't that long for that to happen. But the uh, those collisions with, you know, 250 and 300-pounders, in the game that I played versus, you know, what he did. Uh, obviously, it, it takes its toll over over time, but he's in tremendous shape and has a tremendous passion for for working out. And, yes, he does not – he doesn't have the body of a about a 68-and-a-half-year-old man. Uh, so he's uh, – I'm real proud of him because I've, I've noticed so much in, you know, in – the way he he presents himself, that he speaks, and how he's able to write now, and how he's able to organize things and do things, uh, and having a passion for what he does. So I've been extremely proud of him and, and his growth over the years and to where he is now from where he started from. And I always jokingly say that the best athlete in the family is your wife, Danita, known as Danita Roseboro. Back in the day, she's in the ECU Hall of Fame. She was a great track athlete and now has been your wife for, well, how many years now, Crump? Have you guys been married? Oh, we've we've been together since... We've been together almost 25 years. Wow. Married for... 19, I better get that right. So yeah, I should have asked you that. I should never ask a man that question. Yeah, you know, not ask that question, man. Because I, I did something. <laughs> I want to me something about her birthday or, no, that was our wedding day and our anniversary. And I blurted out just as confident as, as ever. And the other individual go, oh, and then Danita jumps in, because this was like doing a text message or something or email. And she jumps in and, and, the other person could like, ooh, so and so and so and so and so and so and I thought she was like joking. I'm mean, what are you talking about? But since let's see, I was inducted into the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame in two thousand two. So we've been married since two thousand two. Okay. We've been married since two thousand two and we're engaged for like four years. Okay. Like All right. Five. 
And this union has produced a, a couple of kids, Ariana and Isaiah, and it looks like a couple more athletes on the way, right? Well, absolutely. Ariana is a, a good athlete in her own right, and as you know, she's going to be attending ECU this fall. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, so she'll be participating in track and field. Uh, you know, she has a season in high school. The COVID year just really hurt us uh, as far as, you know, what she wanted to do is, is you know, from a athletic standpoint, but we hope that well, we anticipate she will have a great season this year, and uh, and come over to East Carolina and and kind of fill in and continue the tradition and be the female crump that goes in and, and really starts uh, turning heads with uh, her athletic ability because she is. I mean, she's a very athletic kid. I mean, she and she's not as small as her mother was, but if she was, she could run just as fast because she's a really fast girl for. Uh, you know, her size. Mm-hmm. She's going to be participate in the field events at ECU and she'll have a great coach and David Price. So she's excited and, and we're excited. Uh, so we think she'll do great things at ECU and, and, and uh, start charting her own path. Uh, she was a three sport, sport athlete all throughout high school that said she could never do it and participate in high school athletics and do what she does academically and she's done it with flying colors. Great. And, and then Isaiah is, uh, he has been tremendous. I mean, he started out playing that little Titan League here uh, and started, you know, really doing some good things. And then in middle school, he was very, very dominant. Uh, and now as a ninth grader in high school this year, he actually started on the varsity basketball team, made all conference, and uh he was only, you know, I mean, just very rare as a freshman that he would make the varsity, but he did. And then as a football player during the football season now, and uh, so I, I try to transition him or in the process of trying to transition him from a running back um, to a wide receiver. So that's a work in progress, uh, but he has tremendous talent, you know, speed and everything. And he, um, He's a, I call him a deceptive runner because, you know, he's about six one. He has this long stride, and you don't think he's moving, but he's moving. Mm-hmm. And you can attest that because no one's catching him. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> so, so the thing is, like, you like, well, they don't like moving. Well, there ain't nobody catching him. So uh, whatever. And he scored his first touchdown last weekend, uh, and uh, did real well. And he had a little scare of an injury, uh, but he, everything's okay and. Uh, so he's in his spirits. But, yes, those two are definitely in line to do some great things athletically, and I'm just looking forward to see how, uh, especially, well, Ariana, of course, and then Isaiah, because he's such a young man at this stage, uh, and this pandemic thing has really helped him because, as a freshman, because he's getting an opportunity now to mature and grow a little bit prior to you know, going into that game of football, you know, and having to deal with, you know, guys much bigger and much older. And I didn't realize high school football players were so big until now that he's there. And I'm taking a good close look. And as they, those kids are tremendous in size and talent now compared to when I was playing. And when you look at the physical side of the uh, athlete in general. Yeah, everything evolves, as we know. And Crump, it brings us to today. 
Hard to believe Carlester Crumpler is 70 years old. When you think about that, the big 7 of what do you think of? I think it looks very big, and uh, it didn't seem like it was. It seemed so far away in my 20s uh, to think that I would be 70 years old today. Uh, the, the blessing in all of it is that I feel good, um, not having any health issues uh, of concern and that's probably the biggest blessing of all no matter how old you get and my mind is still good not as sharp as it used to be but it's you know i'm not experiencing anything that makes me have any concern you know with with that side of it and of course the most important thing is just physical but yes uh the the old hips aren't doing as well as uh, i like them to and and one of those knees but it's to be expected when you play the game, uh, you know, as I played it in the position that I played in. Sure. I mean, I was, I mean, I was colliding all the time, all the time. It's, yep. You know, it's not, you know, uh, so, you know, it's to be expected. Uh, but uh, otherwise, I'm in great health. And um, if I, I, I'd be miserable if I wasn't. And, and as they say, the. I don't care what happens, man. If your health is not good, uh, it's not a very good situation. Uh, but uh, you know that as well. So uh, I'm very thankful to be 70 and in the condition that I'm in at this point. What a privilege it has been to visit with Carlester Crumpler, a man who not only distinguished himself on the football field, but carries himself with the utmost class. And what a quality person through and through. A man that a lot of people look up to in eastern North Carolina for his character and his integrity. Crump, thanks so much. Uh, on a personal note, thanks so much for being a great friend for 33 years. We really appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure, voice, and I really appreciate it very much. That's Carl Lester Crumpler visiting with us on our show. That was another great episode of the Pirate Radio Podcast with the voice Jeff Charles and his former broadcasting partner, Carl Lester Crumpler Sr. Special thanks to our sponsor, White Claw Hard Seltzer. Look for White Claw at your favorite retailer next time you're out shopping. White Claw Hard Seltzer is available in five fruit flavors, is two grams of carbs, gluten-free, and only 100 calories, and nothing tastes quite like it. We'll be back very soon with another edition of the Pirate Radio Podcast. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in your Apple Store. You can also visit our website at PR927FM.com and follow us on social media at pr 9 FM to keep up with the latest news and information. Until next time, have a great day, everyone. You have been listening to the Pirate Radio Podcast, brought to you by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Nothing tastes quite like it. Visit WhiteClaw.com today. White Claw Hard Seltzer, proudly distributed by Coastal Beverage. Please drink responsibly. The Pirate Radio Podcast is an exclusive presentation by Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation.